I thought it meant we're going to go to church Monday through Thursday. No, and I just figured, man, that, that's a lot, Mom. That's a lot this week. And I'm not sure if I'm up to that. And she said, well, you'll be up to that, I promise you. And, um, but that's not what that means. Monday. It's not Monday. I just think it was Monday, Thursday. The Latin word Monday from mandatum, from the Latin word mandatum means mandate or commandment is what it means. It's really from the opening phrase, if you will, from John 13. We'll give you that in a moment. But that opening phrase, novum mandatum, a new commandment I give you. But let me show you something. This was the night that Jesus was betrayed. He washed the disciples' feet. And he talks about a new commandment. But let's make it clear. There's nothing new about the commandment for love. But something has changed. So we want to show it to you before we get into our message tonight. Take a look at Leviticus 19.19. But love your, your neighbor as yourself. Okay? Nothing new about love. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love has been in the scriptures from beginning to end. But Jesus now, on the night he was betrayed, 2,000 years ago, he gives us this new commandment, this, this nova mandatum, this, this new divine imperative of how we are supposed to operate. So take a look. We'll go to John 13, 34, a new commandment. That's the opening phrase. I give to you. Now, here's the key. Watch what happens. Love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. By this all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Notice the transformation that has taken place. We go from love your neighbor to love one another. That doesn't mean don't love your neighbor, but it means family first. That's the key. Powerful statement that Jesus makes on the night before his crucifixion. We are to love our neighbor, but you are to love one another. Your family must come first. If you don't love each other first, how will you ever be able to love your neighbor? He's making a very powerful statement in the body of Christ right from the beginning. And then notice what he says. This is where he really raises the bar. He now says, from as yourself to as I have loved you. This is the master's model of love. So the bar has been raised. Love your neighbor, but love one another. Love as you love yourself, but that's not even enough. Love as I have loved you. Lay your life down. Serve others. That was a model that Jesus had given to those disciples that night when he took a towel, girded his loins in a basin, and washed their feet. Very typical in those days with dirty, dusty roads in Palestine that when you came to a a place of lodging or a place to, to eat, your feet would be washed. It was customary. The slaves, the servants who were there would wash your feet. Well, in that room, Jesus was not the slave or the servant, and yet no one in that room washed anyone's feet that night. I can only imagine what they must have been thinking as they were sitting there and that that basin was off to the side and that towel was there and no one moved. And finally, Jesus got up, and he took off his outer garment, and he wrapped that towel around his waist and got the basin, and he washed the feet of his disciples. And he said, do as I have done for you. Love one another as I have loved you. Francis Schaeffer said the greatest apologetic the world will ever know won't be your arguments won't be all that you've learned in in seminaries, in the books that you've read, the greatest apologetic we can all give. It's love. 
love one another. Okay? That frames out the night. The title of the message is the First Lord's Supper, 1 Corinthians eleven twenty-three to 26. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty-three to 26. Hear now the word of God. Paul is writing, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you, the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let us pray. Father, we ask that you meet us tonight in our deepest place of need. Give us ears to hear and minds to understand and hearts that beat for nothing smaller than the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray an extra special blessing over those hearts of those brand new communing members in this church for their families, for their faith formation. Father, we ask this to be a word tonight of salvation for the unsaved, whether here in your holy sanctuary or by way of the internet as we live stream. May all those within the sound of my voice come to the saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Make it a word of comfort for those in storm winds and a word of rest for the tired, weary, and heavy laden. Father, we would ask that you would strengthen us from the inside out, conform us more to the image and likeness of Christ when we leave than we were when we walked in. Come, now fount of every blessing. Unclutter our minds and unburden our hearts that we might see Jesus in him only. And it's in Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said. Okay, the First Lord's Supper, and you'll see it tonight uh, for some of our kids. We're so excited about that. Under the heading of the First Lord's Supper, number one, what are we to remember? We've been given a commandment, the divine imperative. We've been given, remember, these are imperatives that we're being told on what we're supposed to be doing. So what are we to remember? Number two, why are we told to remember it? And finally, number three, how are we to remember it? Let me make something perfectly clear. You know what the great enemy of faithfulness is? Forgetfulness. That's the great enemy. When we forget what God in Christ has done for us, the wheels begin to come off the track. So Jesus says, do this in remembrance of me. Forgetfulness is the greatest enemy of faithfulness. So we must remember. Spurgeon said this, though. It's clear of what we do when we come to the Lord's table. And we come often, and we must remember this. We do not come to a funeral but we come to a festival for God's faithful. That is the communion table that we will celebrate. Let me give you a little background before we hit those three points, just so that we can understand what was happening on that night. In that Passover, something changed. Jesus made a new significant change to the Passover. Let's go back to Exodus 12, 12 to 14, 25 to 27. They came to celebrate. They were going to come and have the Passover meal. And then he makes this dramatic change. He changes the significance. But let's go back together. On that same night, God is telling his people, I will pass through Egypt, and I will strike down every firstborn of both people and animals, and I will bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. The blood, here's the key, the blood will be a sign for you on the houses, and when I see the blood, I will pass over you. 
This is the first Passover meal. This is the day to commemorate for the generations to come. You shall celebrate it as a festival to the Lord, a lasting ordinance. When you enter the land that your Lord has, will give you, as he has promised, observe this ceremony. And when your children ask you, what does this ceremony mean to you? Tell them, it is the Passover sacrifice to the Lord, who passed over the houses of the Israelites in Egypt and spared our homes when he struck down the Egyptians. So they've come to celebrate the Passover. But there's something else that happens that night that is profound for all believers. Deuteronomy 6.12 Be careful that you do not forget the Lord who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. When you look at the Ten Commandments, and you see what God tells His people He expects of them. Remember what comes before the commandment. He tells them whose they are. You are mine. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt. I freed you from slavery and bondage. Only after we understand whose we are, are we able to even begin to think about what we have been called to do. There's two terms they use, the indicative and the imperative. Indicative means your position. What are you positionally? Are you his? After you understand that you're his, then you have been given commandments on how you are to behave. So here's the key. Remember not who you are but whose you are. That's the key in understanding what this means to us every time we partake of the Lord's Supper. Now, let's take a look at this passage. Shall we, number one, we're going to head out into some deep water. Let our nets down for a catch. Number one, what are we to remember? Matthew 26, 28. This is the cup of my blood, of the new covenant, which is poured out for many for their forgiveness of sins. Let's make something perfectly clear. Preaching of the word, which you hear now, makes the gospel audible. You hear it. But the celebration of the two sacraments that God has given to us, baptism and the Lord's Supper, makes the gospel visible. And we are to be reminded of how visible our Lord is when we participate in those sacraments. Notice something. He t the blood does not testify. I want to make this clear. The blood does not testify to the lash, but to his love. Remember, Jesus says, no one takes my life from me. Yes, the lash, and he bled, but it did not testify to the lash, nor the nails, nor the thorns. The blood testifies to the love. We'd often ask the kids at, at Easter time, what held Jesus on the cross? And of course, they'd all say the same, well, the, the nails, Pastor. And at some level, you could say that's true. But the deeper message was what? What held Jesus on the cross? Love. His love for you. It's why he did not come down. It's why he went up in the first place. Love. The blood testifies to his love, not to the lash. But then I want you to notice a couple things. In the passage, it's important that we don't miss. 
He says, do this in remembrance of me. Notice he doesn't say this. Do this in remembrance of a principle. He's not asking you to do this to remember biblical truth. He also doesn't say, do this in remembrance of a precept. Biblical truth and biblical instruction we should remember, but that's not what he's saying here. He's saying not a doctrine or not a duty. Do this in remembrance of the divine second person of the Trinity. Remember me. Remember me, he says. We must remember our duty. We must know our doctrine. But there's something that trumps all of that. The divine person. The divine second person of the Trinity. Our Lord Jesus Christ. Psalm 77, 11 to 12. Listen to this. This will kind of put it all in its context. What are we to remember? There's so much to remember. But if we could put it into a a simple formula, this might be one of the best passages. There are many, but here's one that I like. I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your miracles of long ago. I will consider all your works and meditate on all your mighty deeds. When's the last time you've thought about all that God has done, not just in Scripture and all of His mighty works in, in the Bible that we read in your own life? The mighty works of God in Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit in your own life. People ask me, well, Pastor, do you believe in miracles today? I said, of course I do. Each week we see the dead come alive. What greater miracle could there possibly be than the dead to be raised to life? We're getting conversions in this church. You're getting them all over the globe. People are coming to faith. That's the greatest miracle the world has ever seen. Far greater than walking on water and multiplying the loaves and the fish. The dead are raised in Christ. It's our goal every time this door opens at this church. That souls would be saved and lives would be changed. So we are to remember what God has done in our lives. What has he done in your life? What has he done in your family? What has he done in your marriage? What has he done with your brothers and sisters? What has he done? We remember what God in Christ has done, and it strengthens us in our faith. Here's a formula for you. makes it easy for me to remember. Ready for this? Four bullets, very quickly. Remember the debt paid, atonement made. Empty grave, sinner saved. This is a reminder that Christ has sealed all of the covenant benefits of God's people to true believers. We, we, we don't come to the table seeking salvation. No, no. No, we come because we have already been saved. And we come remembering what God in Christ has done. Debt has been paid. Atonement has been made. The grave is empty. Sinner has been saved. That's our first point. Number two. We now know what we are to remember when we come to the table. Number two. Why are... Don't we have to ask why? Why does Jesus have to say, do this in remembrance of me? How how could I possibly forget you? How? 
Oh, I see some of you now are squirming. I've been squirming all week. I've got to put this together before I get to you. So, he doesn't say, do this in remembrance of me as if he's possibly predicting something that will happen. He's giving us a sure promise that it's going to. Because I know you. I know your heart. I know sometimes it beats for me and sometimes it beats for you. So let's take a look at why we are told to remember. This is important. Jeremiah 13, 25. The Lord declared, this is your lot, the portion I have decreed for you because you have forgotten me and you've trusted in false gods. Now, now pause, pause, because I know modern people, modern contemporary people, I know what you're thinking. False gods and you're picturing totem poles and uh, golden calves and sacred cows and bean trees or whatever else might be out there. No, 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 no. What is a counterfeit God? Anything that takes the place of Christ. And these could be very good things. Your job could be a false god. Your paycheck could be a false god. Your marriage could be a false god. Your children could be false gods. We can turn good things into bad things when we make them ultimate things. There's false gods everywhere. And we bow to them. And we forget our God. So Jeremiah makes it clear. We have forgotten Hosea 2.13, I will punish Israel who went after other lovers, but me, she forgot. Have you ever gone after another lover? We all have. We've all put something in the place of God. We've all taken him from the throne of our lives and put something there. And again, don't be thinking bad stuff. That's easy to identify, right? Isn't it easy to identify in the story of the prodigal son? We see the one that runs off with the father's inheritance. He takes his money. He squanders it, and we say, this son is lost. It's easy to identify him. That was bad stuff he did. But there were two sons who were lost. The elder brother was even more lost because he didn't know it. And he was doing all the right stuff. He served his father faithfully. Until he found out that his service isn't what was securing his father's love. For when his little brother came back and he wasn't happy about that day. And the father sacrificed the fatted calf. He was beside himself. All these years I have served you. I have never, ever disobeyed you. And this son of you can't even call him his brother. This son of yours runs off and now comes back and you hold a celebration for him. What was the problem in the elder brother's heart? He wasn't serving his father. He was serving himself. How often we serve ourselves and we make it look like church work. Sacrificial service to God. And yet we're meeting our own needs. We have to be very, very careful when it comes to other lovers. Because they're everywhere. Moving further 
in Hosea 13.6. I cared for you in the wilderness. Don't you remember? Manna from heaven, water from the rock. When I fed them, they were satisfied. When they were satisfied, they became proud and they what? Forgot me. Often people will say to me, I, Pastor, I, these storm winds, I don't understand. I'm convinced often God sends storm winds because we got proud. Everything was going great. and We forget our God. Think about when you think of him most. When you're in your greatest despair, yes? Yes, that's our hearts. God knows that. When the sky is blue and the clouds are fleecy, we don't think much about God. But man, when those waves start to howl, those winds kick up, we're on our face before God. They became proud. Remember what Paul said? I was given this thorn. Why? So that I wouldn't become proud. I wouldn't become conceited. So I would keep my focus where it should be. The heart, it's a very fickle thing. Now, Here's one for all of us. You ready? Those were, those were Old Testament. You go, how about something in the new? Let me give you this one. Luke twenty two fifty seven. 57. Did Peter forget Jesus? Woman! I don't know him. Who was sitting on the throne of Peter's life? Peter. Peter had no interest in being arrested like Jesus. So not once, but three times. I, I, I have no idea who he is. No, I was not with them. Oh, your accent betrayed. No, 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 no. So what was Peter loving? Himself. Who was Peter serving? Himself. Who was Peter's God? Peter. And we're all Peter. Jesus said, you will deny me. Lord, and remember, remember how he kind of belittles all of the other disciples? Jesus says, you're, gonna, you're all going to fall away. And what does Peter say? Lord, even if they all, be like me saying, you know, Lord, even if all these people here in these pews fall away, I never will. Because I'm better than them. I'm stronger than them. And what does Jesus say? Oh, Peter, Peter, you're going to deny me three times before the rooster crows. That's Peter. And we're Peter. And we have to remember that that's the heart, even after it's been saved. Even after we're his, it beats for things that are smaller than God. Woman, I don't know him, Peter said. And listen to this. And what happens? What happens when we forget? I can't find a better passage than this one. Psalm 73, 22. You ready? I was senseless and ignorant. I was a brute beast before you. Oh, my. Forgetting leads to foolishness. Forgetting leads to faithlessness. And Jesus says, remember. Remember. Three. How? We now know what. We know why. How? How do we do it? Remember, God doesn't just leave us there and say, this is what I want you to do, and this is why I want you to do it, but then he gives us clear instruction on how to do it, and then in the how, he gives us the power to do it. Okay? 
So how are we told to remember? Ready? And then we'll go to the Lord's table. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty six. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Okay. We are reminded of the Lord's Supper, and when we come to it, this is the sacrament which should draw our focus deeply into our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Go to 1 Corinthians 10, 16. Listen to these words. Is not the cup of thanksgiving a participation in the blood of Christ? Is not the bread that we break a participation in the body of Christ? This is not a memorial. This is not a spiritual significance. Some have limited the Lord's Supper to it being just a memorial. No, no. Some, if you are a Plato student, and the Jews were not, they raised the Lord's Supper to the spiritual significance, and they left it there. But Calvin and our Westminster divines said, no, no, no. Certainly not just a memorial. And to simply elevate the table spiritually is not enough. No, Jesus is present physically by way of the Holy Spirit. He is present at the table. And we eat and we drink by faith in Christ. We don't drag Jesus down from heaven to us. The Holy Spirit raises us to heaven. And we saw, this is not an altar. This is a table, a communion table, a fellowship. We do not crucify him afresh each time we come to the table. He said it is finished and it is done. But we come to celebrate a meal as a family of faith together. Memorial is not enough. Spiritual is not enough. He is present and we feed by faith and we are nourished from the inside out. Do you realize the gift that we have been given in this sacrament to feed on the body and the blood of Christ spiritually? To be strengthened. This is a means of God's grace. This is the power of the table. Some come to the table as if they simply just need to endure it. Oh, we're having that again. No! We come with enthusiasm and excitement knowing that God in Christ by the Holy Spirit is nourishing us and strengthening us for the fight that is still to come. Oh, don't minimize the Lord's Supper. Don't do it. Herman Ritterboss, great commentator, wrote these words. Listen to this. It is not merely a subjective recalling to mind, but an active manifestation of the continuing and actual significance of the death of Christ. The bread and the cup, these elements speak to us of his substitution, his sacrifice, his suffering, and our salvation. We are celebrating a supper, beloved. This is a meal. This is a meal, a covenantal meal. This is not a re-presentation of his sacrifice. 
This is a foreshadow and a foretaste of what is to come. The marriage supper of the Lamb. That we do this in remembrance of Him. For every time that we eat and drink, we are reminded of the Lord's death until He comes. He's on the way back. So we sup. And as we do, we are strengthened in our faith because of Christ. We fellowship not only horizontally with each other, but we fellowship vertically with our host. He is here, present, in, with. This was a beautiful way the reformers framed it. Watch. No transformation. This is juice, not wine. No transformation of the juice into his actual blood. No No transformation of the bread, the wafer, into his actual body. None. The elements remain the same. But Jesus is in, through, and under the elements. And he is here physically present by way of the Holy Spirit. And he is here that we might eat and drink and be strengthened. In our faith. That's the proper understanding of the Lord's Supper. How do we close? Why, question, is it so important to remember his death? Don't miss this. Revelation 12 11. They overcame by the blood of the Lamb. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. And Romans 8, 37. In all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Why do we remember? The blood. It is the blood of the lamb that has given us the power to overcome. They overcame by the blood of the lamb. Without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sins. That's why every single sacrificial lamb pointed to the true lamb who was to come. Behold the lamb of God, John the Baptist said, who comes to take away the sins of the world. We remember that we are covered by the blood. It is the blood that sanctifies us. It is the blood that has saved us. It is the blood that strengthens us every moment of every day. The blood of the true lamb. So, remember these words. Remember with gratitude your God, with reverence your Redeemer, with confidence your Christ, with satisfaction your Savior, with joy your Jesus, with deep devotion his death. Why? Because his death is your life. Hear me well. We don't come to this table to remember a dead Jew. We come to remember a live Jesus. A risen Savior. Because a dead man got up and walked in Easter morning. We'll talk about that. If you don't know this truth, you came tonight and you're not sure. You've heard the gospel. The gospel tells us a few things very simply. We're dead. We can't save ourselves and we need a Savior. 
And that Savior has come, and his name is Jesus, and he took our place on a cross. He shed his blood that by receiving him, by grace through faith, salvation becomes ours. And the miracle that I talked about early at the beginning happens here tonight, right now, and by way of the Internet, because the dead are raised to life. So with outstretched arms and nail-scarred hands, guess who says come? Jesus. You know how he says come? Just as you are. Whatever mess, whatever baggage, none of that matters to him. Christ says come. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Don't we need rest? The first rest we need is from our self-salvation project. We've got to stop trying to save ourselves. It doesn't work. And yet there's a rest still to come on the other side of the grave, an eternal rest, an active rest to be sure. We'll be busily engaged with our Lord Jesus in resurrected bodies. On that final day when he returns, the dead in Christ will rise first. And we'll have new resurrected bodies, and we won't be sitting on some cloud strumming a celestial harp somewhere. We'll be busily engaged in serving the Lord in the new heavens and the new earth. I'm not sure what, what, what we'll all be doing, but I know what we won't be doing. We won't be preaching the gospel anymore, for that time will have passed. It is appointed unto men once to die, and then the judgment If you hear me now, hear me well. Cry out to Christ. Come to Christ by grace through faith. And salvation is yours this night. Pray with me, won't you? Father, if there's anyone here right now who has never surrendered control to Christ, I want each believer right now to pray with me these words. Pray these words. If you've never prayed, just pray this simple prayer. Oh God, I heard the truth. I know I can't save myself, and I know that I'm a sinner. So I trust in you. I believe you are who you said you are. I believe you did what you said you did. I believe that you are the true Lamb of God. Oh, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Give me the gift of repentance and faith and raise me from death to life. And on this night, salvation has come to your home, for the angel of death has passed over. And God in Christ has raised you to walk in the newness of life in Christ. And for the rest of us, oh God, help us to keep on walking by grace through faith until that day we are received in glory or we hear the trumpet sound. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, amen. Now we are about to participate in what we have just preached on, the Lord's table, but before we do, There's something we like to do here in this church, so I would ask all of you to rise. You may look at your screens if you'd like. We are going to recite the Apostles' Creed after I ask you this simple question. Christian, what do you believe? I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty, and he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, 
the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Please be seated. If you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, regardless of where you may worship, you are welcome to the table. This is a family meal, and we will celebrate together tonight. Here's how we do it. The plate will come to you, and there will be a wafer, and you will take the wafer and wait until we get to the end. And I'll raise my hand, and I'll say, take and eat, and we will eat together. This is a family meal. And after we've taken the wafer, then the second plate will come through, and there'll be a little cup of juice. And you'll take that cup, and you'll wait to the end, and I'll raise my hand, and we will take and drink together. We'll take a moment to confess sin. There's a time of the due preparing of the heart for the believer to come to this table after having really considered how we have been walking with the Lord, but always remembering this, that this blood has been poured out for the forgiveness of our sins and all sin, past, present, and to come, have been nailed to that cross. If there's a reason that keeps you from the table, come see me after the service. Often I find some who, who, who just, I, I don't feel that, that I'm worthy. That's, that's a good place to be. I don't feel like I'm worthy either. But because of what Christ has done for me, I'm a guest at his table. And so are you. So we will sup together. And we'll say the Our Father together. And then we will sing at the end. Pray with me. Father, we come to you right now. And we ask that in the quiet of our hearts you would meet us in our deepest place of need. As we take a moment right now to confess to you our many, many sins. Hear now our confession. Oh, Father God, send your Holy Spirit so that this bread and cup may be for us the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ spiritually. Gather your whole church into the glory of your kingdom. We pray in the name of the one who taught us all to pray like this. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. The Lord Jesus Christ, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread and after he'd given thanks and praise, he broke the bread. He gave it to his disciples and he said, take this, all of you, and eat it. This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me.